Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. This week we've got a great speaker. Hope you enjoy it. Lovely, how nice. Beautiful. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, everybody. Good morning. So, three little words, the most important little words you'll ever hear. And I wonder if you've ever heard them lately. What would they be? What were your most favorite words, your most significant words that you've ever said if you're sitting beside somebody that's important to you? What would you be saying? What would you want to say if you like to be sitting beside somebody that you like to say these little words to? I'm sure you're thinking... I love you. No, that's not them. You're the most significant words in the universe. Your kingdom come. That's what we're talking about this morning. And actually, saying I love you is very much at the heart of that. But that's my title this morning, Your Kingdom Come. If you want to say three words to Jesus, you might want to say these words. If you want to say them to God, if you want to say them to your partner, think again. <laughs> your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. I think if we understand the kingdom of God better, we're going to enter further into that kingdom. We're going to see God's power come more. We're going to see God's purposes fulfilled more. We're going to understand our identity more. We're going to see God move in our lives more and in the lives around us. If we can get a grasp on what the kingdom is. Jesus spoke about the kingdom and more than anything. And we're going to come to that in a minute. And the, This is part one. I've called it the birth of God's kingdom because it's a huge subject. And I'm not sure how much of you have heard about God's kingdom or thought about God's kingdom because obviously in this day and age it's uh, something that we associate possibly with the past, with films, with the, um, the Middle Ages, with kings and swords and battles and uh, kingdom as a king. And although we have an idea and a strong view of nations today, we understood nationhood, we're not so used to talking about kingdoms and kings, whatever your political persuasion may be, you may be strongly nationalistic. You may be looking for uh, an independent nation or, or an independent uh, country, of course. But you're probably not looking for a new king of Scotland. King Sturgeon probably isn't on your wish list at the moment, whatever, however strongly you feel about things. So when we talk about the kingdom, we've got a little hurdle to overcome that we, we need to get through that and understand, well, what, what does this mean for us today in this generation? What is the kingdom of God? Is it relevant? Is it important? What is it? Uh, is it significant? So I, I'm going to hopefully just ask you a few questions today, give you something to think about. I'm not sure how many answers I've got for you, to be honest, but I believe if we begin to think about the kingdom of God, begin to understand what it means for us in this day and age, then we're going to see and be able to understand how God is moving, what his will is, what his purposes are for you and I on an individual level and as a, a church together and in the, in the world today. We're going to see something different. We're going to, I saw Stephen stole my glasses. But I stole his shoes. So I've got the whitest shoes in the world today. I even beat Stephen. So 
God is good. Three little words. Your kingdom come. We're going to think about that today. I hear music. Kingdom of God. God has actually always been about establishing a kingdom on earth. It says in Acts 17, from one man God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. It's important to understand in this new age of nations rising up against one another still today, of increasing nationalism, that we understand that God is above all the nations and that God establishes the nations and set them in place. And we can have confidence and assurance in this day that if we are fearful of what's going on in the world, if we understand that there is a kingdom that God has been building that is stronger than every other nation, we have some assurance about what is happening in the world today and our place in it. Daniel prophesied and interpreted a dream. In Daniel 2, it says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will endure forever. And the psalmist says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The kingdom of God is above all other nations. Above Scotland, above America, above communism and above Russia and above every nation that has been established in the earth there. They are below what God has done and what God is doing. And God is the king of the nations and his kingdom is the one we need to understand and think about and break through our mindset of what's going on in the world today, that we need to see beyond what's on the headline news. We need to understand about God's kingdom, I really believe. And um, God's been at this for a while. A little um, summary of, of, of the story of the kingdom of God many of you may be familiar with to some extent, but um, the Bible, the whole Testament, is very much the account of God calling a nation, the Israels, the Israelites, the Jewish nation, to be a nation of his calling, of his own. That they would, starting with Abraham, he called them out, said, you are my chosen people. And he built a, a nation that was the start of what we see in the kingdom of God today. And that story is important and it helps us understand where we've got to. So the birth of this kingdom started way back with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Israelites as they grew as a nation into Egypt and Moses led them out. They, they, they grew in multitudes and numbers and, and God was always about establishing them as a nation. And uh, they entered into the promised land with Joshua. 
as their leader, and um, he promised in Deuteronomy 7, there's a description of what this kingdom is like, what God was hoping for, what is on God's heart. And when we think about kingdoms, we think, as I say, of wars and uh, oppression, and um, that is so different to the, the vision that God has for his people as a nation of the kingdom. In Deuteronomy 7, we get a flavor of it. It says, in, for you are a people, holy to the Lord your God, speaking to the Israelites. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possessions. And when I'm reading this, this is just the heart of God's kingdom and the heart of God hasn't changed when he was speaking to the Israelites, so he speaks to you and I today. The Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Just let the Holy Spirit start to move in your heart to say and understand that these words are for you. You are his treasured possession. Much of what Aaron was speaking about last week, we see captured here. You are his treasured possession. His affection is upon you. You were the fewest and the least, but God saw you. But it was because, verse 8, the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to our ancestors, to Abram, and so that he brought you out, of a mighty, out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God is at work in our lives to rescue us and to redeem us, to lift us out of where we've been at, what binds us and what holds us in our difficulties and our failings. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is faithful, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. If you keep and pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, praise God. The crops of your land, your grain, your new wine and olive oil, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks and the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. This is the kingdom of God that he always envisioned and always establishing. It would be a land of blessing, a land of favor, a land where there's health and strength and multiplication and we are strong in the land, and we are well. It says, you will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor will any of your livestock be without young. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. Oh, my goodness. What can this mean in this day and age when we're obviously not experiencing that kingdom yet by any means, are we? But that, and this is still God's heart and desire for us and for you, that all these promises of this kingdom, of this nation would come true. And of course, as that promise was um, kept by God, it was abandoned by the Israelites. They, they, they lost touch with, with the promised land, Joshua, very quickly within a generation. They were uh, worshiping other gods and forgetting the God who brought them out of Egypt and gave them all the laws. And they, they um, began to get attacked by other nations and overrun and uh, things weren't going out and working working out as it is in our lives very much. We get attacked and overrun, and it's like, well, why is this happening? And the kingdom of God that was promised didn't seem to be uh, materializing because they weren't keeping their part of the bargain. Judges, 
leaders were raised up by God and there was some success. But eventually the, the, the uh, nation of Israel said, we want a king. We want a king like the other nations. We want a king to lead us. And um, the judge at the time was Samuel. And uh, they went to him and said, in 1 Samuel 8, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old and your sons did not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know that the king who will reign over them will claim his rights. And he goes on to give them a warning that if you have a king, he's going to want your taxes, he's going to want your children, he's going to want your uh, uh, work, he's going to want your hours, he's going to want your money. And if you want a king, you can have him. And so they did. And a king was established. And they said, yep, we're up for it. We just need a king. We just want a king. We just want to be like all the other people. We want to be all like all the other nations. So a king was established. And name, anybody tell me the name of the first king of Israel? Saul. Some sharp people in here. It was indeed. And then the re- some of the, the rest of the story is kings being raised up and brought down. Some good kings and mostly bad kings. David was a great king, but he was flawed, and Solomon, his son, also brought great success, and Jerusalem was established as the, the temple in the city, and, and the Israel nation was established for a while and had great success. But quickly again, other kings came, and uh, the kingdom was divided, and then they were overrun by other nations, the Persians, the Babylonians, and you can trace this through the Bible, and you can trace this through history. And they were lost again, and the hope of the kingdom seemed to be a distant thing. But there was still this hope, there's still this remnant. And they believed in um, Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel. restored some of the glory. They rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem and they built the temple to some extent, the second temple. But there was a prophecy that was still unfulfilled. If you get ready for this uh, little clip, please, Peter, take the slides down, tee it up. There was a prophecy of a king, of a messiah that even in the depths and the worst of times, there were some in Israel, and the prophets foretold it, and they believed it, and they hoped for it. And we're going to pick up um, a little clip from the nativity story that looks at King Herod. King Herod actually, I believe, if I've got my facts right, rebuilt a third temple or extended the temple in those days. And he was anxious about this prophecy and about what the Jewish people were doing would rise up against the, the Romans. And um, we know this story as the beginning of Christmas. And the kingdom is coming. This hope for the nation is the same hope that we can have. And if you're ready to go, let's uh, have a look at this. And it's just a couple of minutes, but listen out for talk of the prophecy.
The prophecy will end tonight, Father. The sons of Bethlehem shall be no more. weeping and there was crying and there was tears in Israel so Matthew describes a voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning Rachel weeping for her children refusing to, com to be comforted because they are no more the Romans or Herod understood this prophecy to some extent misunderstood it to a greater extent but acted upon it a misunderstanding of the kingdom that was coming but the kingdom was coming and the prophecies and the hope of Israel was being fulfilled in those very days when Jesus was born who came to earth in those in the time of those kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself will endure forever. And in their short self-interested, the, the Herod, I'm sure, just was intimidated and thought there was going to be a rising up of the Jewish people, a rebellion to overthrow the Romans and establish the Jewish community. And that's very much, I think, how the Jewish nation expected this kingdom to look like, a physical, earthly kingdom, when they would become kings of the world again. And everything would flow to them, and every other nation would be subdued. But Jesus and God's heart was much, much greater than that. And Jesus, when he started his ministry, announced the kingdom of God and what it was like. And he described it. In Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come. This was not an earthly kingdom. And the kingdom of God that we are in the same way experiencing and looking for and believing for and part of is a kingdom of heaven, more of a kingdom on earth. It is heaven coming to earth. God's will being done in the lives of people. It is a kingdom where there is love, where there is kindness, where there is goodness, where there is peace, where there is joy where there is all the things that um, we, we start and become familiar with as, uh, in the New Testament teaching. But Jesus was announcing it and trying to get around people's heads to say it's not a kingdom of earth, it's a kingdom of heaven. 
And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. He wasn't just talking about it. He was bringing the kingdom to bear right there, right then. People were being healed. People were being raised from the dead. People were were being rescued from their sin and their bondage. And that is the heart of the kingdom. And it's no different to this day. That is the kingdom of God that we're seeing on earth uh, ever since Jesus established it and started talking about it. And he said interesting things when he tried to explain it. He says, truly I tell you, Matthew 11, truly I tell you, Jesus said, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence and violent people have been raiding it. That, that is such a radical, incomprehensible thought that those in the kingdom are greater than even the likes of John the Baptist, his cousin who proclaimed the coming of the Messiah, who was so full of prophecy and understanding, through so full of righteousness and, and, and hope and proclamation, who was martyred for his beliefs. How good was the news that the kingdom of God that Jesus was bringing was going to offer to not just the Jewish people, but to all nations that they could come and enter into this kingdom. Not of earth, but of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. And it begins to make some sense when we hear some of Jesus is teaching, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This was a completely upside down kingdom. It wasn't the strongest and the wisest and the cleverest and the, 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 those that are seen as successful in the world today, but the, the poor. These were the ones that were being asked and invited into this kingdom. It wasn't the religious, it wasn't the holy It was the weak and the lost and those that needed and recognized their need for God. Those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The meek, for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is the heart of the kingdom that God and Jesus was establishing. And God had always dreamed of. He wanted all those to be in the kingdom. Not a hierarchy, not a nation of oppression, but a kingdom of love. He's spoken parables so often. Matthew 13 talks of many. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast like yeast that a woman took and mixed in to about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven is like something you've never seen before, something you've never heard of before, something you've never understood before. This is completely and utterly radical. There is nothing on earth like it. This is the kingdom of heaven. It's the same kingdom today. It's the same message today. It's the same uh, mind world that we need to get around. That we're expecting God to establish our lives in a worldly basis as successful and full of 
hope and life, but actually it's something inside of us, something that is better than what we can receive in the physical. It's deep joy, it's deep peace. It's an overwhelming filling of the Holy Spirit. This is the kingdom of God that we're hoping for and seeing and believing that is, that is extending um, across the world. Kingdom of God is amazing. The kingdom of God is wonderful. The kingdom of God is beautiful. The kingdom of God is the whole universe wrapped up into a tiny little mustard seed and placed in your heart through faith. And we can enter into it. And that's the, that's the great news. He didn't just announce it. He offered the way and he explains it. And he uh, it says things like, and it makes sense when we start to think kingdom. If we start to understand this and put our kingdom glasses or a kingdom perspective on, we can understand the world a whole lot better. That, well, why is there suffering? Well, because the kingdom of God is coming. It is not fully established. Why is there, the, you know, why isn't we seeing those promises of uh, health and strength and uh, fertility in the earth today, in our lives today, because the kingdom of God isn't fully established and will not be fully established, but it's coming and it's growing and it's extending its boundaries, and we need to extend the boundaries internally in our thinking, in our hearts, in our behaviors, and we'll see it extend in the lives of our family, of our community, and our nations even around us, and we've seen that throughout the generations. You've heard it said, he said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks like a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within her heart. And there's so many things that we think about. We've got our own um, mantras and uh, assumptions about how the world is. You've got your assumptions about who you are and what you can do. And Jesus is coming with his kingdom and saying, hang on, just, just think about this from a kingdom perspective. Think about it from a completely different point of view. Anyone who divorces his wife, you've heard it said, must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. Completely radical thinking. Completely different. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because that's what the kingdom of God is like. That's the nature and the heart of the kingdom. The disciples still hadn't got it. He asked, they asked Jesus, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They've still got this mentality of, I'm going to be stronger, I'm going to be better, I'm going to be uh, richer. And uh, the more religious and spiritual and the more close to God I get, I'm going to be the top, I'm going to be the, the best, I'm going to be the, the I mean, no, 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 no. He says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never even enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a radical message Jesus was proclaiming. And it's a radical message we need to live out and understand and proclaim as well. And it's beautiful and it's exciting. And it is the hope of the world. It is the hope of the nations. That the kingdom of God and the, 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 the nation of God with Jesus as king will rule and reign. And uh, we're going to talk about that more maybe another day. About what's, where it's going and what's happening. And uh, when will it happen and when will it be fulfilled. But just at this stage, I want us to capture this perspective of kingdom thinking. Understand a little bit about where Jesus was coming for. Eventually, after Jesus died and rose again, disciples started to get an idea, started to get a handle on it. And they say, well, all right, what do we do? And the initial was just wait. Just wait. Just wait. And you will be filled with power. 
And if you want to know how to respond to the hope of the kingdom, that's a good place to start. Just wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I loved Aaron's talk a few weeks ago about being filled so that we can flow and we can find. And the kingdom of God gives us the framework understanding of how that happens and why it happens, that we can be filled. And the kingdom of God starts with being filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew 16, Jesus established Peter and gave him something. And, and, and he says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We're just beginning to understand the authority of what it means to be a kingdom person, to be a believer of what God is doing in the world today, of this kingdom thinking, this kingdom mentality. The, 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 we interpret it, the kingdom maybe as the church, but the, and they're, they're closely linked, the universal church we see on earth, but we know that the kingdom is much more than that. It's not just what you see in churches today. It's something much more spiritual, much more powerful. And, and um, the keys that, we, that were given to Peter, we can have as well. He says, he'd said to the, the disciples, when they asked, why do you speak to people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. We need to be those same disciples. We need to have an understanding of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven if we're going to see the, the purposes of God fulfilled in our lives and in our church and in our nations today. Isn't that exciting? There's secrets out there. There's secrets about this. It's, it's, it's not just maybe what we've been thinking. It's not just how we're thinking. It's not just the way we assume things are. I'm believing that, that in the days and months and weeks to come, I'm hoping I get a much better understanding of what I'm beginning to see here, that the kingdom of God and the secrets of it and the keys of it are going to be the way that we see. Life's changed. Our life's transformed. Others rescued and saved and set free from addictions, from poverty, from unbelief, from misconceptions. The kingdom of God is coming. So we need to say and begin to understand these three words, these three little words, your kingdom come. And wouldn't it be amazing if when Jesus was asked, how do you pray? What would he say? How would you pray? Well, he says, how about this? How about this? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The most powerful words in the universe that you can declare and say to God, your will be done. Your will be done in my life. Your will be done in my family. Your will be done in my workplace. Your will be done in my heart, in my mind, your will be done, O oh God. Your will be done because I want your will be done, not mine. Worship is the heart of surrender we're singing today. And every moment, every decision, every time we have a decision to make, we need to say, well, is this a kingdom decision? Is this a kingdom moment? Do I need to just lay down my life and say, oh God, your will be done, O oh God. Your will be done in my life. How exciting, how powerful, how amazing. Your kingdom come, O oh God. Your will be done. What am I going to do with my future? What am I going to do with this situation? What am I going to do in this circumstance? Lord, I don't know, but your will be done. Your kingdom come. Hallelujah. And we start to understand what the disciples started to understand. 
Peter wrote, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Those same words that were in the prophecy to the nation of Israel are spoken to you and I today. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, the kingdom of God, the new nation. Something incredible happened when Jesus came, was born, was living his life, establishing the kingdom and creating it, a new creation. You're a new creation. When he rose from the dead and established the kingdom once for all, the firstborn of all creation, Jesus. And from that moment, every person who gives their, their lives to God, to like John 3.16, Stephen was preaching, who believes in Jesus. We start to see it. And maybe if we get the band back up, we're just going to finish very shortly. Um, and Peter, who'd been given the keys of the kingdom, the secrets of the kingdom that were being established, when they'd waited, been filled with the Holy Spirit, we start to see the outpouring, the start of this great kingdom coming the kingdom of heaven coming down to earth. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached the remarkable sermon that many of us feel and concluded. With this call, with this invitation to enter the kingdom of heaven, to enter the kingdom of God, to be somehow greater even than those that have all come before, that, that those who enter the kingdom, because we're entering through Christ. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the hope of the nations. He announced it, he demonstrated it, he established it, and he holds all things together. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, everyone in you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call with many words, he warned them and pleaded them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number. Who's getting baptized next week? One, two, three, maybe one or two more. If you've not been baptized and you want to enter in the kingdom of God, take that next step of faith, of confession of believing. A great simple step is next step. First of all, believe in Jesus. Invite him into your heart. Ask him to be your Lord and your Savior, your King. You, want, you need Jesus to have a King in your heart. You're the nation, the kingdom of God is established in our hearts. That's how it is rolled out. That's how we're connected across the generations, across the years with every single other believer to all those who are far off. That's you and I. Across every nation, we're connected with this amazing hope 
of the kingdom of God, that we're part of the same kingdom that is above every other nation, that is above every gender, that is above every age, that is open to all, that is the invitation to join all people, that is the hope for unity, is the hope for peace, is the hope for health, is the hope for strength, is the hope for life. That is the hope of the world. And we need to, when we listen to the news, you, you, you can think, hang on a minute, I've got something better than this. I've got the kingdom of God to look forward to. I've got the kingdom of God that I'm part of. And I'm going to take another step further. I'm going to get into the kingdom a bit deeper. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to wait in the Lord. I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to understand the secrets of the kingdom. I'm going to search my scriptures. I'm going to speak to people. I'm going to understand more and more and more what the secrets are, what the power means for me, what it means for me to lay down my life and say, your will be done today, O oh God, every single day. Pray this prayer. Jesus said, how do you pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you start living your life with those priorities, those hopes, those purposes for your marriage, for your relationships, for your finances, for your decision-making, for everything, your kingdom come, your will be done. Are you ready to sing and rejoice? Because the kingdom has come and it's open to us. The door is open. Enter in. Enter into the kingdom of God. Repent and be baptized. Believe in Jesus. Come, O oh God. Come, O oh God. Let's stand together. Let's worship in response to this great hope. We have good reason to rejoice today. Great reason that we have the hope of the world. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is here. Three little words. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Say them. Think them. Believe them. Hope for them. In Jesus' name.